0: Welcome to New Books in European Politics, a brand new channel from the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones and my guest today is Hélène Bienvenue, co-author of Hungary under Orbán, Stories from the Great Plain, published in French by Planjour in February. This book begins with a very good and politically relevant question. Quote, who knows the name of the Czech Prime Minister, the name of the head of the Romanian or even Polish executives? Yet today everyone knows the name of Hungarian leader Viktor Orbán. To have a leader known outside the country's borders is a first for Hungarians. Some are frustrated by this. Hungary, they say, isn't just Viktor Orban." To put this right, six French journalists who've lived in Hungary during Orban's 12-year rule published this collection of essays and profiles, and they did this just before an election that returned Orban to power for another four years with an increased popular vote. Hélène Bienvenu, who co-wrote or wrote six of the chapters, is a freelance photojournalist who's been working in Budapest since 2010. Ellen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thanks for having me. Well, as
0: you write in the introduction to the book, there's a lot more to Hungary than its, uh, how can I put it, controversial prime minister. But at the same time, the book is called Hungary under Orbán, and his presence or or his shadow is felt in every chapter, no, no matter what the subject is. So could you tell us broadly about the, the the story behind the book and how it came together?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, we are like a group of uh, foreign journalists. Uh, most of us, uh, yeah, French or French speakers and uh, we've known each other other over the years uh since we've been living in Budapest and we've been committed to the city to the country um but the the idea of the book came quite late I mean in in our friendship let's say um it came a a few months ago um let's say half a year or maybe 10 months before the elections and um it's, it's uh, Corentin, who is the um, uh, leader of Courrier d'Europe Centrale, um, a French uh, news portal on uh, Central Eastern Europe, who initiated it. And uh, we started to have, like, share thoughts about what we could write. And the idea emerged very uh, quickly afterwards that uh, we could write uh, Something that uh, picture Hungary through our stories, the stories we've done in the past, and the stories that were important to us, and the stories that um, actually um, making make understand any reader um, that when what Hungary has been living through the past 12 years of Orban's rule. So whether it's uh, people who support him, whether it's people who are suffering from his policies, or whether those are the staunchest um, opponents of Viktor Orban, those people were uh, given a voice in our book, Um, and uh, the idea, as you mentioned, was uh, really to show that there is more to Hungary than just Viktor Orban, but at the same time, he became an unavoidable personality, uh, even of European and world politics. so in the book, uh, you won't find, um, you know, um, analysts who are telling you uh, about Orbán's regime, but uh, we've uh, tried to add as much as possible um, content to um, to the stories we're bringing, to um, to yeah, uh, analyze also a little bit this regime, but really through. Um, based on those people we've met. So the people are first and then uh, the comments uh, are being added uh, along the, cha- the chapters.
0: Yeah, and, and some of the, I mean, for example, as you, you mentioned, Corenton uh, Léotard, who's the who's really pulled the book together and in particular, a couple of his chapters are about the well, the deep past, you know, the, the, they go back to 2012, 2015. W- were some of these um articles that had been written previously for Corvier or for, 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 or for other um, publications.
1: Yes, so some chapters are exclusive in the sense that um, we've never written about those people or never in that form uh, previously, so it's really for this book. But some of the chapters are um, coming from um, reportage that we've done in the past uh, and that we've tried to refresh, refresh uh, either calling back those people uh, a few months or years after or adding some, um, I mean, whatever new uh, update has came up in the meantime. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a mix of, of totally exclusive, and uh, some stories uh, had been already brought uh, by us to a um, French-speaking audience, um, or English-speaking also sometimes, because uh, I was myself working for the New York Times in the past. Um but uh, but we've we've done the job of of trying to make sure everything is updated, uh, and um, yeah, for the day we were releasing it.
0: Is, is it a pretty tight community, the, the foreign journalist community in Budapest, or, or, or are you all sort of competitors and enemies? <laughs>
1: um, yes, it's interesting because now I, I'm living in Warsaw um, and I've lived in other cities in the past, so I can compare a little bit. Uh, to be honest, um, I mean, yeah, it it's we you you kind of it's always the same you see the same faces when you go to press conferences right Mm -hmm. you know who the AP or or RFP persons are but you don't really like take a beer with them uh so I know I've, I've known some of them and and I have really good relationship with some of them some of them are my friends but um not really into, and, and what's interesting is actually the Hungarian journalists are totally out of it. Like um, <laughs> it's it's uh, either like um, I mean it's it's also part of uh, I would say the Hungarian uh, way of social socializing, which is a little bit special, which I never really understood. Um, but so I, I know privately some uh, Hungarian journalists or fixers um, that have even became my friend. But it took really time. It's not like hey, let's have. a beer i saw you mm-hmm. 10 times today <laughs> and uh, but the french um journalist yes with uh, we know each other very well we're not so many of us and um we are working all together whether it's sharing fixing jobs or uh whatever issue come up we have our mm-hmm. group and channels um uh which doesn't happen everywhere the same I mean even if it's like French speaking it doesn't mean like uh, let's say uh, in any other city uh, people collaborate
0: yeah well it, it, I mean as you said earlier that the, the, yeah. this isn't really an analytical book about politics but, but the but the politics really pervades and that, that really comes across in the first uh, chapter that you co-wrote with uh, Thomas Lafayette and Leotard where you, you basically use um, reportage from a rally, a Fidesz rally in twenty twelve, as a sort of hook for for the history of the last of the last decade under Orbán, and really a lot of the themes. So could you could you talk us through a, a why you, you you chose that structure, uh, and then b some of the some of the big themes from from that chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So actually, it's a, a chapter we wrote, uh, like the three of us. Um, and uh, it. I, I think it's Quarantin who had started uh, to write about the peace rallies of uh, Viktor Orban, mm-hmm. uh, which have been held uh, several times in the past, and including now, just before uh, the elections. Uh, it's always uh, a rally to reinforce its um... Uh, Voting camp and uh, anyone who supports him. uh, It's a show of force, actually, in Mm. a peaceful Mm. way, as it says. But this year uh, it had a very special meaning because there is war in Ukraine. And uh, as we know, Viktor Orban has been campaigning on the fact that the opposition is the one who's going to send Hungarians to fight and die in Ukraine. Um, were
0: you sorry just were you surprised yeah. that were you surprised that that worked um as a as a as a campaigning position in hungary or, or not at all surprised
1: <laughs> yes um, well to be honest I'm surprised each time yeah because mm-hmm. um, uh, this time that I've been back um, to write a few stories about a campaign and the elections uh, I went to see a voter that I had uh, uh, met four years ago and mm-hmm. I met her at a peace rally uh, exactly four years ago um, it was a different topic uh, four years ago Orban was campaign on the George Soros and, uh, were well, of course, uh, portrayed as the master of the opposition. Mm-hmm. And on immigration, oh well, on uh, refugees and migrants, against them, of course. Um, and so <clears throat> this lady was uh, actually um, y- using uh, conspiracy theories, and uh, she's an English teacher, and uh, it's um, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting uh, because uh, you know she has access to the news and everything, uh, but um, but so yeah. I met her again this year uh, to see how what she thinks of the the campaign and the election then she has totally switched to the new rhetorics this year to the war <laughs> um, and peace rhetorics and it was of course it's always uh, insightful to to meet those people who can be really nice of course she was extremely yeah. nice having us at her home you know and uh, it's 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 really amazing to be able to have those conversations in in those contexts, you know, where there is no tensions at all. Um, but it's as if we we're living on several bubbles, and um, there is no meaningful debate you can have um, with people like me and her. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect to ask you questions, but besides, uh, it would take hours and probably you would reach nothing to try to convince uh, each other of who's right um so she had uh yeah totally um she she was uh, campaigning uh uh with the referendum because uh, victor orban has been holding holding a, a referendum uh on the on ch- child uh protection uh, so called child protection uh mm. about um uh promotion of um, uh sex change and uh lgbt um ids uh in schools um, and she was uh, the first thing she said she sh- she showed us a flag that she had been having for the Peace March where it was written uh, hands off our children mm-hmm. and yeah it's always puzzling you know when you, people take uh, those s- slogans and words uh, so um, so closely to their meaning mm-hmm. <laughs> and it yeah. just a campaign of
0: their own yeah well as you i mean the, the the first chapter really is full of all the all the tricks of urbanism <laughs> and and one of the one of the things you refer to there is is the the way he tries to as you put it keep the population in a state of moral panic mm-hmm. and it has been it has been incredibly successful um, and, and it's you know, it's becoming an, uh, an export, particularly to the United States, it seems.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's, um, it's a later addition to orb Orban because um, um, in 2015, when he really started uh, with this uh, anti-immigration uh, rhetorics, he was pretty alone. I mean, of course, they were the far yeah. right. Movements in Europe and elsewhere—they had been campaigning on the same, uh, around the same issues for years. But um, but it was the way it emerged in Orbán. It was uh, with the refugee crisis, uh, which was knocking on Hungary's door, uh, actually heavily. Yeah, it has to be said uh, through the Serbian, Serbian and um, the Baltic, uh, the sorry, the Balkan ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, it's now he, it's true that he. He's paying um, attention, and he's actually rallying uh, those personalities. Um, He's inviting them to have speeches uh, in Budapest, uh, for instance, in the Matthias uh, Corving Collegium College. uh, Mm -hmm. That is uh, another chapter in the book. Um, It's um, an incubator for Hungarian um, talents and Hungarian academics. Mm-hmm. um who are really taking care of and of course they are giving a choice it's not that they are imposed conservative views but some of the teachers and a lot of the conferences are opening a door to this world of a heavy conservatism and um a lot of guests are coming. For instance, Marion Maréchal Le Pen was there to give a conference. Um, and Tuchler uh, has been also invited several times. Uh, so, yeah, this has um, been a new thing uh, that has been uh, deployed um, cheerfully by uh, Victor Urban and uh, and his parties.
0: But but having lived lived there for, I mean, off and on lived there for more than a decade, do you, um I mean, because it it is an unusual combination of democratic form and autocracy. uh, And that's why it seems to be so appealing to national conservatives in, in France and Italy and the United States. Having lived there, do you, do you think it does work in itself, whether you approve of it or not? Is it, it, is it a sustainable model, in your opinion?
1: Well, uh, at least it has been sustainable for twelve years now, and yeah. for actually sixteen until uh, Orbán's latest uh, mandate. Um, and it's a, it's a quite a long time for European standards. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, it's working in the sense that um, the electoral law, also the electoral, the whole electoral framework, makes it works. Uh, yeah. The weak weaknesses of the opposition make makes it works. Um, The economics, the the economic conjecture was uh, pretty favorable to Viktor Orban this time and last time around, too. Uh, But then everybody is from the opposition is hoping that uh, the economic downturn is coming up now with very high inflation and the war in Ukraine and all its uh, consequences is going to hit Hungary very high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so maybe next elections will be different uh, but so far so good he has, uh, Victor Orban has um, he's a very clever politician of course and uh, he has um, implemented uh, all the little tricks as you said who are needed to stay in power and he wants to stay in power so Mm -hmm. for instance the media most of the media um, panorama is controlled by by himself uh, and and its and its party coalition, um, the key institutions are also controlled. Uh, even the universities now are no longer autonomous uh, the way they were until um, last year. Um, so there is no um, section of, of you know Hungarian life we wouldn't. Really have been tackled by uh, Viktor Orbán, um, mm. so it it, it means um, yeah, of course. Then you have like people who are. Um, not believing a word of it and are fighting against it. But there's not much you can do when it's been already 12 years. And now, Mm -hmm. of course, it's the eternal conversations of, okay we're going now because we've tried our best um, and it hasn't worked for us. We haven't managed to change the country. So, you know, the EU door is open anytime. And this is how yeah. also it has maintained Orbán, whether with funds, EU funds fueling corruption of the regime, or um, talents and youth and openness uh, just giving away and living.
0: Do, do you think though that that is the danger for him? I mean, you you, you interview a farmer. It seems a very successful farmer who mm-hmm. is kind of sympathetic to Orbán and to Fidesz, but he worries. He, he's slightly worried that Orban is, is playing too many, games, <clears throat> too many games with the EU, and he says Europe is too important for us, and he knows this well. So he, he thinks that Orban knows when to stop, but I sometimes wonder, well, and you are now in, in, in Poland, uh-huh. that he has now potentially lost his best ally in, in Poland. Uh-huh. That he, could, he could be overplaying his hand with the European Union. Do you, do you think that's possible?
1: Um yes that's possible though as we know the Visegrad for including Slovakia and the Czech Republic Poland and Hungary um, I mean they could be reactivated anytime. Now of course they are having no meeting all the meetings are cancelled for some mm. reasons, and rescheduled for later and they never seem to happen now um, and clearly uh, there is a strong disagreement now around the situation in Ukraine and it doesn't please Jaroslaw uh, Kaczynski who is the de facto leader in Poland who is an older person and uh, who is himself convinced that his late brother had been killed by russians mm-hmm. um, so it's a very personal story for him and yeah. he's not gonna let it go um, but 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 yeah um right now we are having this issue i i'm not sure how this is going to play with the recovery funds and the new mechanism that the european union has started uh, the conditionality of the rule of law Mm. uh, to what way is going to be efficient and applied Uh, it should be applied now so well, we'll see. But, you know, Viktor Orban can always portray uh, again the EU Commission as the bad guys, as those who are um, imposing views on Hungary, uh, reducing its uh, sovereignty. And mm. so far, this has worked for people supporting him. Well,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I, I, I just going to come back to the book a little that... Um, it answers what it tries to answer a couple of questions that have puzzled me for, for quite some time as, as I've watched Victor Orban seemingly change so much. So mm-hmm. th- there's this um, profile that Corentin uh, uh, Leotard writes of Josef Kardos, so I one know. of the founders of Fidesz. And I remember, probably people my age remember Fidesz as this sort of um, liberal group of former law students. Uh, who got together and, you know, it, it was meant to be a sort of liberal opposition to, to communism or reform communism. And it's, and it's ended up as this authoritarian right wing party. Um, and and the, the story of Cardos seems to kind of answer that. Are you able to talk us through that chapter, even though you didn't write it?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I certainly uh, read it, so um, I can tell you things.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's um he's a very interesting character, and of course he's he's he he had this implied threat that uh, he would out some of the some of the gays inside uh, inside the regime. Did did he ever get round to doing this?
1: Uh, oh, so, sorry again. I, I didn't. Uh...
0: So, yeah. So he, he and he's gay himself, and he, oh, yeah. he sort of yeah. And he he gave this um, sort of implied threat in, in a YouTube interview that he was going to out some of the some of his fellow gays that were still inside the regime and was still enabling uh, enabling Orbán. Uh, partic- as you said, in particular during this referendum campaign, is this? Did he ever make good on this threat?
1: Ah uh, uh, no, I mean I I, I don't think so. Um, it's um, well, it's it's a very interesting aspect of, of Fidesz, and as you mentioned, it started as a very anti-clerical party, also very like young, full of energy, very progressive yeah. and liberal um, party. They have kept the logo, they have kept uh, the color. It's always been orange, um, but. Uh, and they have kept some of them. Actually, most of the leaders uh, have remained the same. It's just now that they are older people now. Um, yeah. And and yeah, the um, there is this uh, ambivalence among Fides um, because some of its members are are actually gay, and we've seen that. we uh, you probably followed this uh, episode. It was uh, quite amusing. Um, Oh, the it's MEP, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Josef Sayer, uh, who is a member of uh, of uh, Parliament, the uh, Strasbourg uh, European Parliament, He was uh, found um, in um, during COVID restriction. That was uh, actually why he this uh, became a, a big thing. Is because he took part in a gay party uh, mm. in Brussels, and uh, and he. <laughs> he came out of the of the place um, um going down through the gutter uh, yeah. to down to the pavement and <laughs> was owned by the police there so the whole setting was very grotesque um and especially for um somebody who uh, has written the new constitution um yeah. in in, uh, <laughs> in 2011 um, um, and promoting conservative view. Uh, so, you know, obviously, everybody knew about him. Everybody, he's been a, on, an all-time member of Fidesz. Uh, so um, everybody uh, knew how he behaved, but it, it was just kept secret. And uh, those kind of, of people, once it was out, um, Orban has made it clear that they have nothing to do with him anymore. So he was just dropped. Um, yeah. You know, he might, he might have kept personal connections, but, but for the party, it was enough. It was finished and he had to leave. So yeah, yeah. That's, um, that is um, very um, yeah in- interesting um, there is also um, another um, interesting family connection in in, in-, in-, in Fides, uh, you know Maria Schmidt um, mm-hmm. who is uh, one of the, so-called ideologues of Fides um, uh, she is a very conservative lady uh, she has a son who's openly gay as a member of mm-hmm. parliament but for the green um, <laughs> So there's a little bit of a family clash in there but they are mm-hmm. still um, yeah still uh, seeing each other. <laughs> of
0: course well I I, mean, I I was also struck at the sort of similarities on us i guess on a broader scale of the the chapter on the tensions within the jewish community uh-huh. because again there is this there are these two uh pressures uh or two 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 factors pulling against each other one is you know orban is being very supportive in, in monetary terms. He's, um, you know, he's very closely allied with Likud and Netanyahu. And yet at the same, same time, he constantly plays these um, either openly anti-Semitic or implicitly anti-Semitic themes in his, in his campaigns. Um, how, how is that playing out in, in, in the Jewish community in, uh, in Hungary?
1: yeah um the Jewish communities are heavily divided uh, first I should maybe say that uh, Hungary is actually um, still has a significant Jewish community of at least mm-hmm. uh, around a uh, hundred thousand uh, believers or peop- people who recognize themselves are part of the community and they are divided uh, according to um more or less conservative values and uh, or orthodox uh, beliefs mm-hmm. so they, they are, there is uh, for instance a very progressive community uh, which is very small there is the mainstream community uh, Emich uh, which is uh, in between and then you have the Chabad Lubovitch um, who are uh, present in different countries around the world and uh, those are orthodox um, and, and the, yeah yeah, they are in good relation with uh, Victor Orban, Emich isn't, uh, depending on what's going on, but usually now it seems they are no longer in good terms. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's been something that have, has been very vocal, especially four years ago for the previous election when there was those billboards with George Soros. And um, then they were accused of being uh, anti-Semitic because of the way he was portrayed as, uh, as this rich uh, Jews, mm. uh, like uh, having money and uh, playing with money. Um but I mean this has been very quiet so far. Uh we're not hearing this uh accusation um around Fidesz at the moment. Uh, they've found something else uh, to be occupied with but mm. um, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah no we, I mean one thing is is it's pretty clear that we cannot accuse of and uh, Victor Urban of, of being an anti-semite um, but whether he's using some feelings um, and and some uh, cliches uh, this is mm. all true
0: yeah. Yeah, well I, I want to come to a couple of the chapters uh, that you wrote. You you uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to have a particular interest in, in the border country, in the uh-huh. in the Hungarian diaspora. So you you wrote you co wrote a chapter with uh Joël Le Pavou on um, Mayor Robbie yes.
1: and and his expertise
0: uh-huh. in uh, in getting getting his hands on EU money. But also this, this uh-huh really interesting chapter i won't even try and say the name of the village the cheese village uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you pronounce that one but and, and well please tell us the story about the cheese village
1: yes of course so um it's a little village uh village called um and it's um Um, It's a really small village uh, with uh, just a couple of uh, still employed uh, inhabitants. Um, But the interesting uh, feature in there is, um, and I found it totally by chance, randomly, Mm -hmm. um, it was in a woman's magazine. Uh, It was a story (laughs) uh, done in Hungary about the village and around this cheese cooperative that was set up by... Woman of the village, and I was like, "Wow, this is super interesting!" So I got in touch and I went there to do a, a feature story for um, actually a gastronomy uh, magazine for like a new one in in France, <laughs> mm. and uh, they accepted the the story. Um, so we went there with a photographer friend of mine the first time. Uh, and 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 yeah, it's 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 quite incredible that you still you know you might have this vision of of Hungary and especially the countryside as being uh, dead, uh, where nothing is going on when it's heavy propaganda um, of Viktor Orbán. Um, but this village is uh, very dynamic thanks to uh, to its mayor, who's a, a woman, Ildiko. And mm-hmm. um, she's very, very committed to, to the place. Uh, and she's the one who makes it work uh, with the other women of the city council because it's an all-woman panel there, um, sure. uh, which is also quite exceptional uh, for Hungarian countryside. Um, so basically what happened in this village is um, uh, they had uh, no budget left. Uh, they were bankrupt uh, or Accused or close to bankruptcy, uh, to the point that they even decided to go to in front of the parliament and beg for money, peeling onions mm. there. And uh, they were told to go away because uh, <laughs> they are, had not um, declared um, the uh, our manifestation there. So, um, but they decided to go another way, and they they found that they could access some funds. Uh, Um, state funds um, to set up um, a cheese factory, a small cheese factory. And the very interesting thing about it is that nobody in the village had any experience of it. And there is no... (laughs) in this region of cheese whatever Uh, so they just started out of the blue uh, with a lot of enthusiasm and uh, checking YouTube uh, tutorials on how to make it Um, then they found where to buy all the equipment for the cooperative and they found also where to get the funds Um, and of course I mean it started out because um, they they had goats and they had a lot of meal out of it uh, which they were doing nothing about so they mm. thought uh, they could go next step which would be to give value to this milk and produce cheese so this is how um, it, it all started and they're you know being quite successful I'm not sure now because of COVID and because of um, generally uh, the conjecture uh a country like that. I mean, I'm talking specifically about this region, which is yeah. really tucked um, away from anything. Uh, it doesn't have good roads uh, to even going to Seged, uh, which is the closest, biggest city, uh, already takes quite a long time. And the only closest escape uh, is the Romanian border. Um, mm-hmm. But so it's not Budapest at all. And uh, in terms of sales, products, it's an issue uh, because there is also clearly no demand for uh, good cheese, good manufactured cheese um, in the region. Uh, People don't have the money for that. So they they go to the cheapest supermarkets to buy the cheapest cheese uh, imported or made uh, on an industrial scale. Uh, But they are not buying so much this little uh, cheese uh, from the village. Yeah. Well,
0: and, and it, it does seem perhaps an example of sort of perverse incentives in that uh, the, the the reason they are doing this is because they were able to get a grant to do yeah. it from the EU. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes yeah yeah exactly no it's uh, it's it's uh, very much because of, of the grants and because of the trust they were given um, on um, uh, in Budapest mostly uh, from the interior ministry um, but um, but yeah exactly I mean otherwise uh, unfortunately the countryside and the regions of Hungary are lost uh, a lot of their autonomy autonomy, mm-hmm. including budgetary autonomy. So they have to rea- rely on those public uh, scheme jobs, um, which are uh, in terms fueling also Viktor Orbán's uh, victory. And those jobs are pal- paid half of the minimal wage. Yeah. And yeah. this is how it looks in the countryside now in in, in Hungary, pretty much anywhere. So, including in in Medgyaszombat, has uh, they have those um, public jobs, but they are being used uh, um, in a clever way by the mayor uh, and the city council. Yeah,
0: well, it's, and it's a, a similar story, the one you write about Mayor Robbie, um, that he, you know, he has. Um, Taken full advantage of, of any EU money available to yes. uh, to, to you know to, to, to fund his town.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, so uh, Mayor Rabi is um, is another very small village. Uh, Quebec Haza, um, which no on, not only borders Romania but also Serbia. And so it makes it a a special place, because the fence um, uh, that uh, Victor Orban has uh, um, erected to counter migration waves are, is in place there and is ending there in the middle of nowhere because then the Romanian border starts. Uh, so visually, it's, it's quite something. Um, but And, and, and uh, Robbie has been against uh, the fans forever and he's been very vocal about it, but of course, uh, he could do nothing against it. So... Now that the, the village is living by the shadow of this fence, and uh, they actually managed to open a border crossing uh, with Serbia, which uh, has changed mm-hmm. uh, the perspective it's not that it's bringing you know uh, prosperity <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, but uh, I mean it's mostly good for Hungarians living in that part of Serbia. They have another border crossing to go when all the others are full um and they they can go to Segad, you know for like whatever movie or something but um but yeah, Mayor Robbie doesn't speak English, and mm. uh, even there, he is um, has been really clever with uh, absorbing all these EU funds uh, that he could get for his village, um, mm. and this has changed the face of the village. But in in the case of uh, both Kubekhaza and Paz, uh, it shows. Uh, that if there is a whale, there is always a way, of course. And, and those two settlements, little village, are actually um, lucky to have mayors who are um, aware of the possibilities and they have the will. And they are, it's an everyday fight, to be honest, uh, for them to, 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 to get everything down. And, uh, and it works for, for the citizens.
0: Yeah, and do you think? Um, just a more <clears throat> uh, general question to, to to end our discussion on the book. The people you've spoken to since the election result, who are not in support of the government, do, how do how do they feel since the election? Do they, do, does it do they do they feel they have fight in, in them for, for next time, or uh, or does it does it all feel lost?
1: Yeah, um, the, the first few days, uh, like the last time, but this time was uh, even stronger. It was a kind of a heavy, depressive feeling um, among uh, people who were having hopes that Orban could lose his two third majority, at least, because this is what yeah. was uh, <laughs> announced by all the pollsters uh so it was it was a really heavy, sh- heavy heavy shock uh of course a lot of them are talking about moving away because this time it's enough uh i have yeah. a friend like that uh but it remains to be seen whether um those who have families and etc uh will really do it because of course uh it's a significant change um I'm not sure whether also uh, the consequences um, will be analyzed for the opposition and that they will really start to do work uh, outside of the bigger city uh, mm-hmm. in the country. Because it's one of the issues also that the opposition has, um, is not visible in everybody's life uh, outside of Budapest and the big cities. And yeah. uh, so there is no, you know, surprised, and then people uh, keep voting for fittest when they actually don't know there are other options, and that they don't know what they are, what they have for them. Um, so it's a serious um, party issue uh, there. Um, and then again, you know, like of course, you know those people they have lived already 12 years so why not 16 years for those Mm. who can live so-called with the regime uh because they are finding support uh in other spheres and among their friends and families um it's of course uh it can they they can stay and they are not going to suffer too much um for the other ones, well, um, well, well, we'll see. But the interesting aspect of these elections, I found was that there was um, a wave of uh, commitment to uh, observe the elections. Uh, mm. It was a problem four years ago. There were not enough um, observers uh, from the opposition sent in the, uh, everywhere where there is a, a place, a polling station. Um, but this time they reached um, like 26,000, I think, observers. Uh, so mm. it's a lot of my friends... I saw uh, on social media were going there and telling about their experience, and it's it's really it's I think Hungary needs more m- more experiences like that uh, because in both ways it's it's positive it's positive for the urbanites who go there to a very lost village um, and and see the reality there and it's good also for the villagers there to see those people from the cities who, you know, like you might have a beer even or what conversation at least with them. Um, And um, my friends were pretty shocked uh, of what they've seen there. I mean, first Mm -hmm. to see the poverty, Uh, a friend of mine was telling me that, uh, He went the whole day to observe the election, and um, there were people who couldn't read. Uh, There were people who were asking for um, whom to vote uh, already Mm -hmm. inside. And uh, there is also um, uh, in in Hungary for people who are not mobile, who cannot go to a polling station, you can have the vote coming to you and cast the ballots in your house. Uh, And he also observed that in a house that had no window, had no heating, had nothing, and yeah. uh, the person there was very proud and saying, "Hey, I'm voting for Fides, of course." <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, it tells a lot uh, on the situation yeah. in Hungary at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, there's going to be plenty for uh, foreign journalists to write about over the next four years. That's 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 for sure. Yeah. But, um Since this is a podcast about books, as (laughs) usual, I've asked my guests to recommend a couple of books to listeners. So, Elen, what have you chosen?
1: Yes, so maybe first of all, uh, and it's not because I want to recommend my uh, (laughs) (laughs) counterpart, but uh, there is another French journalist, Amélie Poinceau, who a couple of years ago uh, released um, another book uh, on Victor Orban called Dans la tête de Victor Orban. Um, Mm. I'm not sure that it's been translated in... It hasn't. Yeah,
0: it hasn't. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. But it's a good uh, compliment uh to our book um because this one is is um gathering uh, a lot of um analysis from uh, politicians themselves mm-hmm. of Fidesz um whom um, Emily could meet. Um and so yeah it, it it really is insightful for that matter. Um then I was trying to think of the books that really uh, left uh, an impact on me are uh, Hungarian books. And uh, I thought of, um, I think, the very first ever Hungarian book that I read uh, was uh, by uh, Imre Kertes. Uh, and it was Kadish for an unborn child. Um, mm-hmm. And it's um, it's a Holocaust well, um, story, uh, let's say. Uh, but very like, um, it, it, it really brings you there. And it's a lot about emotions. Uh, it's pretty much um Imre Curtis, who is a Holocaust survivor uh, himself and who died um, a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but who got the Nobel Prize uh, for literature. Um, so Imre Curtis um, survived uh, Auschwitz in Buchenwald, uh, and in this book it's an answer to a um is uh, people asking him why uh, he was not uh, having children. Um, <laughs> so well, I'll, I'll let you discover <laughs> the explanation there. But um, but yeah, it was a powerful uh, reading uh, for me back then. Um then if I may I would recommend yeah, yeah. <laughs> another um it's different um country but uh it's still we're remain in central broad central Eastern Europe and I would recommend any book really by uh Svetlana Alexievich, um Belarusian author. Mm-hmm. Um she is uh, originally a journalist and an oral historian, and it's, you can feel it in her books. I mean, they are really excellent. It, it's not about, most of them are not fiction. They are based uh, on something real, and right now uh, I'm I'm writing. I'm reading one of um, one of books uh, about children who survived World War II and are telling the war through as as adults, but through their their children. Mm, like uh eyes uh the way they remembered it as children and the way they lived through the world as children um and it's um it's really really uh interesting
0: what what's that one called what's so one i'm one?
1: trying to find uh the name uh in 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 english uh uh let me
0: what, what, what do you what language are you reading it in
1: um, it's in French and, uh, wait a second. I can go and catch it. Uh, where did I put this book? Um,
0: don't worry. I can find it. So I'll, I'll, I'll look her up in French.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I can, I can, uh, I don't have it, uh, it's somewhere in, in the house, but it, no, don't um, yeah. And I also really enjoyed, uh, I read from her, um, uh, I think it's uh, Voices from Chernobyl, the oral history mm. of a nuclear disaster.
0: Okay. Well, wow, that, that's quite an eclectic choice. <laughs> <laughs> thank, th- thank you. Uh, today I've been talking to Hélène Bienvenue about Hungary under Orban, published in French by Plan Jour. Hélène, thanks very much for coming on.
1: You're welcome. Thanks a lot. <laughs>